We are underway this hour on Flames Talk from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It's Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson of Post Media, and uh, we're ready to rock. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, the day after, Wes, and and I, I say that jokingly, but also I say that like, we got a big-time NHL story on our hands with the Calgary Flames. They've won two in a row. They've looked good doing so. And yet the big thing everyone's talking about in this market, the big thing people are talking about in other markets, Jonathan Huberdeau, Calgary's $10.5 million player being benched for the last bit of the second period and the entire third period. He missed 23 minutes and 37 seconds in a row stapled to the bench right at the end of the bench we all saw the visuals we all saw the twitter reaction and more my reaction on tuesday as it was playing itself out i was just like wow because it it became obvious because i i definitely saw him miss a couple shifts late in the second period i just thought to myself okay but then as the third period began and he didn't take his first two shifts on lindholm's line i was like okay i that we have a pretty good idea what's what's going on here, and it just played itself out. So it was pretty clear by early in the third period what was happening. And and this is now where I'm at after a little bit of time to think about it almost 24 hours later. I, I applaud it. I really do. And I, I, I don't applaud it from like a, yes, he deserves to sit standpoint. More, I just applaud the approach and the willingness to not do the easy thing from Ryan Huska. And what I mean by that is Jonathan Huberdeau was fighting it and he was having a rough game and we heard jeers from the crowd and all of it. And it would have been, I think, easier to just keep rolling him out and say, oh, he'll play himself out of it. We're in a close game. We need him. Instead, he shortened his bench. And instead, he sat down three players and essentially went to three lines for the rest of the third period. And doing that, with your highest paid player who has a massive spotlight on him all the time is not the path of least resistance. Right. And I think it sends a good message to the team. And I also think it sends a message to the player, but also it's just something they haven't done. This is now, however, 90 games, however many games he's played, 90 games with the Calgary Flames. And really, at no point has it clicked the way the Flames need it to click. They have to get this guy going. They have to do whatever it takes to make him an impactful player on a nightly basis for this team. This is something they have not tried yet. And even though I don't think it was ever a big-picture decision from Ryan Huska, I really do believe it was just a Tuesday night in the heat of the moment. Not even in the heat of the moment, but Tuesday night reacting to what was happening in the right. Nashville game. I thought the timing and the decision was very strong from the head coach. I think it was a strong move, an important move. 
I'm curious as to where you are on it. I'm curious as to where you were on Tuesday night, what was going through your head, and now here we are on Wednesday, how you're feeling about it. Well, yeah, let's First start... of all, hello, hi. Oh, hi, hi there, buddy. Come in, hi! Let's start with Tuesday night. I, I'm sitting in the, the press box, obviously, uh, as we all are, beside my colleague Danny Austin, and, and the third period starts, and we see Lindholm between Dylan Dubé and Adam Ruzichka. And so that's my sort of first hint that something's up. I, I think to myself, hmm, okay, it's an interesting look. And then we see Martin Pospisil jump over the boards in his now usual or for the past two games usual spot with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman. And I said, holy, I'll just leave it at that. It was two words, but I'll just, uh, holy yep. something. And so Danny and I are, are watching and, and he says, okay, so what are you thinking? And my response was, well, he's, he's either bumping Yegor Sharangovich down to the fourth line and trying to jumpstart Huberto with Kadri and Zari or Huberto's on the fourth line. And Danny said, oh, you were wrong on both fronts. Right. So Danny says to me, <laughs> Well, why would they take Sharon Govich off that second line? And the only response I could come up with was to avoid the bleep show, to avoid the sort of chaos that would erupt if you benched your $10.5 million player right before leaving for Toronto and Montreal. And I don't think Ryan Huska can be on the bench thinking about who's next and, and what it means big picture. <clears throat> but it's going to be a huge story, not just today, but in the coming days. Yep. And why it's a big story for me is not about what happened Tuesday night. It's not the fact that Jonathan Huberto was fighting the puck. It's not the fact that he was even pinned to the end of the bench for the final 20 minutes of a game and a game that they were trying to win. You know, you're sending a message to your should be offensive catalyst when you need a goal yep. and, and you're saying we're, we're probably better off trying to get this tonight without you. But it's a, it's a huge story because it shines a spotlight on the fact that it's not just Tuesday night. This is 91 games into Jonathan Huberdeau's stint with the Calgary Flames and it's been underwhelming. He acknowledged as much today. He, he talked about what a, a struggle it's been sort of since he got to Calgary. So Tuesday probably puts the magnifying glass on it, just like it did when Johnny Gaudreau was scratched by the, or not scratched, sorry, benched by the Columbus Blue Jackets the other night. Everyone suddenly hones in and says, oh, geez, well, how many points does he have this season? And and how many shots did he have tonight? And what's his plus minus, which is not very good, obviously. This is why this is a huge story for the Calgary Flames. They have to, as you said, Get this guy going. Yep. They have $84 million committed to Jonathan Huberto over the next eight years. He's a huge part of your now. He needs to be a huge part of your future. And this wasn't, hey, he's struggling a little bit on this Tuesday night. This just really puts back in the spotlight what a struggle it's been. What, yep. what an awkward fit it's been so far for Jonathan Huberto in a season and change with the Calgary Flames. Well... And and that's that's a really good way of putting it. And and when you talk about look, Ryan Huska on the bench in the middle of a close game where you know you 
at the time when the decision was made, they were down 2-1 in a game that they felt like they could win still, and rightfully so because they played a hell of a game. And I can guarantee, even though I, I doubt Ryan would, would truly admit this publicly, but you don't make a decision without somewhere in the back of your head. Ryan Husk is a very smart man. He knows that that's going to be something that is talked about after the game. You, you, you can't be an aware human being, make that decision, even as an NHL hockey coach focused solely on winning one hockey game. You can't do that without knowing that, oh, yeah, this is going to blow up. Right. Toronto's going to be all over it. The three-letter network, Sportsnet. Yeah, like everybody's going to be talking about this. And that's the only thing people are going to be asking about. The first question DA asked after the, the game was not about how, how and I'm not, there's not a criticism of Danny at all. It was the story. story. Was Huberdeau. It was the story. The first question in the post game press conference, Danny asked Jonathan Huberdo because that was the story. And then at practice on Wednesday morning, we're going to hear from Jonathan in just a second. That was the story once again. And so, you know, when you make a move like that as a coach, that it is going to draw sometimes unwanted attention to your team and the player that you're trying to get going. And that's why I say I applaud the call because. We have not seen this at any point since Jonathan has gotten here. We saw him, sat down. Remember, there was the whole thing about he wasn't out there for an uh, empty net opportunity when in, in a one-goal game last season. But to be sat down for 23 and a half minutes consecutively in a one-goal game or a two-in-a-one-goal game, we have not seen that. Yeah. And so that's why I applaud it because it is the complete opposite of the path of least resistance. And so I'm not saying the next step is what we see from Jonathan and we'll get into that. But from a coaching standpoint, sometimes doing the difficult thing is what you need to do. And I I really feel like that's what we saw on Tuesday night. And if this helps kickstart Jonathan Huberto, I I think we could look back on it as a, a bit of a stroke of genius. If Jonathan Huberto doesn't have a point in his next 10 games, I, I think we might look back at it as a kick in the pants to a guy whose confidence was already teetering or or, or broken. I, I, I guess sort of how Jonathan Huberto ultimately reacts might, might skew how we look back on the decision. But today, I don't think anyone, quite frankly, is criticizing Ryan Huska for the decision. No, I, I think in a lot of ways, the player didn't give him much choice. And again, not just with his play last night, with the fact he, he had one assist during the six-game losing skit, right? He, yep. he, give him credit. He, he had an important helper on Saturday in Seattle when, by the way, he played... Uh, season high in ice time. So it's not like this has been on a, a steady decline, but yeah. you know, now the onus is on Jonathan Huberto. And I want to get more into this in a minute, but why don't we hear from Jonathan? Cause I, before we kind of get further into the big picture, I, I do think it's important to sort of hear his side of it. Text lines open at nine sixty nine sixty. Uh Folks are already uh, popping their opinion in. Keep it coming as we're underway this hour on flames talk, Pat and Wes and, Look, the one thing I'll say about Jonathan, and you can criticize the the agent's tweets all you want, but since he's gotten here, this will have been the fourth or fifth time that he's come out under really difficult circumstances, answered every question, looked us all in the eye, and, and faced the music, if you will. 
and maybe the most awkward one yet was after practice on Wednesday morning. Here's uh, Jonathan Huberto in its entirety. Nothing edited, nothing cut off, nothing reworked. I always like to make sure that, that, that there's nothing doctored here. This is start to finish Jonathan Huberto on the only topic people are talking about after Tuesday's game. Yeah, it was difficult. I mean, you know, as a player, you want to be out there and help, help your team. But, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I sat on the bench. You know, it's 20 minutes in my my career and you know that's it I think I just got to move on and we got to win so you know that's all that's all that matters and it's on me to you know to be better you don't like it no doubt um, but can you kind of use it in a way that uh, will benefit you yeah I always want to look forward I mean I can't think in the past so you know you use that as you know it's just frustration I mean obviously you don't want to you know, it's humiliating. You don't want to be sitting on the bench and see your guys, you know, the guys work hard on the ice and, you know, you're just out there, you know, just sitting on there. But it wasn't easy, I'm not going to lie. But, you know, it was a coaching decision. And I think you, you move on from there. We got me and Huss talk it out. And, you know, I, it's, it's, I think it's there's no pointing fingers. You got to look in the mirror. And I got to be a better player. And, you know, that's I, I know I got it in me. I, I still believe. I still, still believe in myself. So that's what I, you know, I just got to gotta show it on you. Where does the solution come from? Where does, your, where does the solution come from? I mean, if I... If, if I found the solution, I probably <laughs> wouldn't be sitting on the bench last night. So it's uh, it's something you work every day. I mean, I want to find a solution to, to help to, to be a good player in this team. Still got to find it, but at the end of the day, it's 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 about work. You know, it's it's you gotta put the work in. It's it's not a it's not easy. You know, uh, since I since I got here, obviously, but it's you want to be positive. I think you know nobody feels sorry for yourself. It's you. You gotta. You know. I dig myself a little hole. I gotta get out of it and be positive. Do you understand the decision and the reasoning behind the decision? Yeah. I mean, you know, as a player, you're, ne- you, you're never happy when you sit on the bench. So obviously, you're not gonna lie and say like, ah, oh, understood. I think you know, needs more for me, and I gotta give. I gotta give more. And I see. I'm trying, but sometimes you know, you gotta try smarter. You said the word humiliating. Does it feel sort of embarrassing when you know? Because you know we're all going to be talking about it. You know fans are going to be talking about it. You know the media, everyone. You guys are going to take one word probably and and put it big. But it's not about that. I think it's, you know, like you ask every guy, you know, they sit on the bench. It sucks. Like you don't want to be sitting on the bench. You can take that word and put it, you know, the way you want to. But obviously, you know, I wasn't happy. You, you don't want to be on the bench, and I'm sure all of you knows that. But it's, you know, I know, I know, I know, it's, it's, it's part of the, the process when you know you get all the media and stuff like that. And obviously, I, I have to be a, a better, better player in this team. And um, like I said, I think I. I can wake up and feel sorry for myself, but I just won't. You know, that's not who I am, and I'm going to battle till the end. What's, uh, what was going through your head, Jonathan, as you're watching the game? How are you trying to stay engaged? Or what, what were you thinking during that, that 20 minutes there? I was just there for my teammate. I think, you know, we're, we're a close, close team, and we all love each other. And, you know, it's not because I sit I'm going to be pouting. And, you know, I think I cheered him on. They work really hard in the third. And we got a big win, so you know that's all that matters. Now you, you move on, and uh, 
next game is to me to, to be the, the hero. What are some specific elements in your game that you feel you need to work on to get back to that level that you know you can play? I think more like, uh, I think it's uh, it all goes with the, with the confidence. I mean, I know we talked about it for so many times, but when you get that low, you, you, you know, you, you make some plays not at the right time and stuff like that. I mean, I think the work ethic is there. It's more like you know the the, the plays that you, you do it at the wrong time and stuff like that. So it's just to you know create more deception in my game. That's what I've always been good deception. But when you <laughs> the confidence is not there, you you try to make like plays and it's not at the right time. You hit a stick, you know. But these are the kind of play they're easy play. But right now they don't come easy. So it's just to find a way keep more simple and. Uh, it's. I mean, it has to come back. I, I just don't don't see it not coming back. So. We talked to Coleman and, and Dubé last night, and they were very emphatic having your back and, and wanting everyone to know how much faith they have in you and, and knowing that you were going to come back and be positive. That's got to mean a lot, knowing your teammates, you know, they, they've got you here, right? Yeah, it, it, I mean, they knew it wasn't easy for me, but, you know, it, it's, it's nice to see, obviously. Like I said, we're close team, and, I mean, even though I wasn't playing, I wanted to, you know, cheer them on, and I had a good attitude and it shows a lot I mean the guys coming on the media and say that I think they they know I have it in me so it's it's just to me to 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 show it to them that is Jonathan Huberto start to finish as he faced everything on Wednesday following practice as we continue here on Flames Talk look I I heard accountability I did I heard I, I I didn't hear any excuse making there I I also like I liked it when he said no there's no finger pointing it's on me and I've got to be a better player. And that's so I, I definitely heard accountability. Yeah. But you know what else I heard? I heard a lot of like, I don't know. And and that's the most concerning part of this is that you don't know why it's not working. I don't know why it's not working. And I don't think Jonathan knows at this point. 91 games, is that what you said? 91, yeah. That's a long time for a guy who for four straight years, was one of the most productive players in the NHL. A point-per-game player in four consecutive seasons before coming to Calgary, having a huge drop from his career season to this past season, and now a lot of the things that happened last year are carrying through to this year. And I I don't think... Some of them aren't even carrying through as well, if that's... There there have been stretches where maybe it's looked worse than last year. And this is year one of a pressure-packed $84 million contract. I I don't think he knows why. I think he is like WTF. I, I He knows he needs to be better. I'm just not convinced at this point Jonathan knows 100% what it's going to take to do that. And that's not a criticism. It's more just like I think he's as spellbound and baffled as, as a lot of people on the outside are. And that's the terrifying part for the Calgary Flames from the coaching staff to management to those who are, are signing checks for $84 million over the next eight seasons. It it would be easier if this was a, a disciplinary type benching, right? It, w- it would be easier if, if Jonathan Huberto was sitting in the third period because he didn't like his work ethic or you didn't like his engagement level or or you didn't think his give a crap was where it needed to be it's not any of those things with Jonathan Huberto and and I think in some ways that makes it worse the 
issue that you're trying to address and the reason that you didn't think he could help you in the third period of the game last night is he hasn't been very impactful. Yep. He's a guy whose calling card has always been setting up offensive opportunities, has always been as a difference maker in that particular end of the ice. Well, last night when you were desperate for a goal and, and you don't have a murderer's row of sharpshooters up and down that bench, you thought, and it was proved to be true, that you could do better without him. Yep. And if you're Jonathan Huberto, you're not certainly cheering against your team. We saw the exact opposite. But isn't it crushing to sit there and think, man, they're playing better without me. For a guy who already has shattered confidence, how difficult must it be to sit there and go, huh, this is this is going really well and, and I'm not a part of it right yeah. now. And that has to be the most troubling part for Jonathan Huberto. And that's what I heard. You, we heard Ryan Leslie ask him about the solution and we heard his response. If, if, if I, I had, had the yep. solution, I probably wouldn't have been benched last night. This is a player who's just broken right now. He I, he looks lost. It's not just lost confidence. He looks lost, period. And I don't know what the answer might be. I, I can't even imagine how much time Craig Conroy and Don Maloney and, and Ryan Huska and Mark Savard and go up and down the list. I can't even imagine how much time must be dedicated to trying to figure out how to get Jonathan Huberto back to the player that he was not all that long ago. But this is the fact of the matter. We haven't seen it in Calgary, certainly not for a significant stretch. This isn't about 20 minutes on a Tuesday. This is about a season and now an eighth of a season where Jonathan Huberto has not been what the Calgary Flames thought they were getting. Yeah. And they need him to they, they they desperately have needed Jonathan Huberdeau and Nazem Kadri to take their games to a different level as leaders on the ice with this team. Leaders off the ice too, but on ice guys that you point to and say, those are our best players most nights. And and to Nazem's credit, the last three, four games, he's done that. And he's been dynamite the last nine periods. They need, and I thought Jonathan Huberto had some flashes in the early stages of this season. I was like, okay, maybe there's, maybe this is turning around, and it is gone. And 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 I kind of, we we talked about it on this show. I put it out there on Twitter, and it has come to a grinding halt and gone the other way since. I don't know what it's going to take either. I just know that it needs because the scary part is when you ask the question, what happens if it doesn't. Right. What happens if this is what Jonathan Huberto is as a member of the Flames? It is nightmare fuel if you're Craig Conroy and that's what like that is the type of thing that keeps a general manager up at night. He didn't sign the contract, he didn't make the the trade, but he is the GM now. He's the one managing a whatever 84 million, 86 million dollar cap, whatever it is. And 10 and a half million of it is being taken up by a guy that's not performing anywhere near that type of figure. Right. That's terrifying if if you're Craig Conroy. Because Jonathan Huberto really dedicated himself over this summer to rebuilding his confidence. He, he saw a, a prominent sports psychologist in Montreal. 
He did a lot of, he spent a lot of time on the ice. Like there was a real push to rebuild his confidence. And everyone knows that I am a golf nut. And in golf, really, you always talk about the hardest thing is taking it from the range to the golf course in the sense of you finally think you figured something out with your swing. Everything's going perfect on the driving range. Well, now you're on the golf course and it's a, it's a different animal. It can fall apart pretty quickly. Well, everything was going really well for Jonathan Huberto at the range. And you could throw in the first handful of games of this season. As, good first hole. You're as, feeling good. Right. It's really encouraging. Well, Jonathan Huberto suddenly has the yips again. And that that part you talk about, like whatever whatever sort of lens you want to look at this through, you know, it's it's troublesome for Friday's game at Toronto. It's troublesome for this season. It's troublesome for the next eight seasons. This guy is a part of your now, and he's a part of your future because of what his contract status is. Yeah. And that makes just this such a... This is, is like Craig Conroy must just toss and turn at night. And I know Jonathan Huberdeau does too, but he doesn't have the answer. Three day, uh, we'll get to the text line in a second, actually. Last thing I'll say is anybody who's suggesting, well, now the next step is put Huberdeau in the press box. I push back on that. I think you've sent a strong enough message. I think that Jonathan is wearing it enough that you don't need to do that too. Mm-hmm. That's me. If, if it doesn't pick up in three or four weeks, maybe sure have the conversation then, but now message has been sent, whether it was sent as a direct message purposely by Ryan Huska or not, a message has been sent to the highest paid player on the team. Let's see how he responds to it. I'm optimistic that he responds. Well, I'm not suggesting that, He's going to go out and be a two-point-per-game player from this point forward. But I just I, I hear him, and I think that he is not going to take that as a an FU and then give the similar energy back to the team. I think he wants to help this team, and I think he wants to be a lead. So I, that's the next big thing is how he responds, right, and, and what this actually does. If he responds negatively, well, then there's another problem. But... That's the next step. Let's see what the next two or three games look like for number 10. And, and let's see more than that. Let, let's see more than two to three games out because this you need to make this work. As we've been saying over and over for the last half hour, you absolutely, the investment that you have in Jonathan Huberto, and I don't mean just financially, is so large that this has to work. And so if you go from sitting the third period to now in the press box in two games to whatever you're you risk losing that not just losing the investment you risk losing the player losing the player that's exactly and it. so i'd be really careful it, it's super easy from from the press box it's super easy from your lazy boy at home to be trading or scratching or whatever jonathan huberto the flames know they have to be careful with this one they we heard Jonathan Huberta, and I know he doesn't want to make a huge deal out of the one word. We heard him say, well, that's humiliating to sit at the end of the bench. Okay, that's a message, right? If you've humiliated your star player, and he didn't say it in a, a cranky way, like he, he understands and it. And you're but, not saying it in like a, oh, Ryan Huska humiliated the guy. No, that's not what right. you're saying either. But you don't go from humiliated to 
well, how can we how can we make this worse in a week? You got to be careful here. Let's read some texts. Just go rapid fire through a few here at nine sixty nine sixty. Uh, this says, "How about number ten showing some kind of emotion? Angry, mad, something." Um, this says. All of your pundit discussions this afternoon singularly focus on the problem being Huberdo. His issues started instantly the moment he arrived in Calgary. Question then, is there a systemic or organizational cause or contributing factor? Example, the supporting talent isn't in the Flames lineup. This says, it's not working for number 10 because if he was truly honest, I bet he isn't truly happy in Calgary and don't think he ever will be. Never wanted to be traded from Florida. Also, hard to live up to a contract you might know you were overpaid on. Uh, This says, boys, even if the benching from last night backfires and Jonathan Huberto ends up... um, Ended up in the effective player that he is now. I don't see that Huska had a choice. He set an example for the team while still saving face for Huberto during the postgame media scrum. The question is, what if things cannot change at all despite the benching? Then playing the crap out of them, which they might have to eventually try, etc. We can't have this for the next eight seasons, which is kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, That's the most important thing is finding a fix for this. And it's why I, I keep repeating myself that it's not, this is not about Tuesday night against the Nashville Predators. This this is about a really big picture. And that's, I, I think the players scared of where this is going. I think the organization's scared of where this is going. And if there's one reason to be optimistic, they're, they have to be in it together. Uh, this says, I thought the benching at the time was a poor decision and still do the day after. I honestly felt bad for him. Um, if he's playing poorly, then limit his shifts and his time. But to have him sit at the end of the bench and be embarrassed like that will not light a fire under him, in my opinion. I obviously don't know him personally, but I don't think that was what this player needed. Again, less ice time, sure. Outright bench for the third with the cameras on him, writhing at the end of the bench. I hope I'm wrong, but I think this will backfire on Huska. Let me, let me jump in on this one quickly because it's something I, I was thinking about this morning. I'm not sure, and, and it'd be interesting to bump into Ryan Huska and ask, I'm not sure that sitting him for the entire third was necessarily the plan for, for exactly the reasons outlined there, but the Calgary Flames started to roll in that third period. They, they were coming in waves. Yeah, they were riding some momentum. They there. really were, and that game was, wasn't over until... Nazem Kadri fires it into the empty net, and then you're not putting a guy who's been sitting for 18 yeah. minutes back into the game at that point. I I don't know if how it would have worked necessarily if you got a key power play opportunity. I, I don't know exactly what the game plan would have been, but I think for exactly, and that was a great text, by the way, I think for exactly those reasons, I, I'm not sure that 23 minutes without a single shift was the plan. I think that might have just been the way it played out. Uh, A couple more texts before we hit the round table. Uh, This says from Curtis, Huberto obviously has something going on between the ears. I do believe he's trying. He owned it in the media scrum. That had to be hard. Stay with him, Calgary. Go 10. And finally, this says, reminds me of a great story Conroy told where Sutter benched him and Aginla the complete second period. Sutter told him in the intermission they won't need their gloves so they can do their nails on the bench. Third period, he played the hell out of him. Not the first time star players have gotten benched. That is one of my favorite Sutter Conroy stories from way back in the early 2000s. Yeah, absolutely. And and Pat, I got to give you some kudos here. You know, it's been a hard enough 
24 hours for Jonathan Huberdeau. So thank you for glossing over that rather sharp assessment of his mustache. It's for a good cause, so I'm not going to rip on the mustache. It's a good cause. It's November. It's November. Uh, it's Pat and Wes coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Flamestock is live on Calgary's hockey station. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time for a Wednesday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson, and on the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. So the first half of this hour, all on Jonathan Huberdo and uh, the decision Ryan Huska made on Tuesday night to sit him down for the entire third period. But, you know, while that was going on, it was another really strong game for Nazem Kadri. Multi-point night once again for Kadri. His line with Connor Zeri and Yegor Sharangovich drove the bus in a victory again. Gents, let's talk about Kadri. What's gotten into him? What What are we seeing in Nazem Kadri's game of late? What has made him as effective as he's been the last little while here? Well, as our broadcast partner, Megan Mickelson, has been saying, he's worked consistently hard all season. Hasn't always been rewarded for his hard work, but it's uh, good to see that uh, he's starting to score some goals and pick up some points. But he he is a guy who can be really hard to play against. And for the most part, I think he's been that guy so far this season. Uh, again, the goals and the points haven't been there consistently, but I would say that the work ethic has been. You look at uh, a couple of different stats, not uh, the goals, assistant points, but shots. He leads the team in shots by a mile. He leads the team in takeaways, which tells me that he's playing well without the puck. And I think he's he's just playing his game. And I think there are some guys on the team who are probably trying to do too much, and that's gotten them away from playing their game. So Nazem Kadri, I think, has done uh, a good job kind of on his own despite having some different wingers over the course of the season. But, you know, I can't ignore the fact that uh, he started to become a more productive player since being put on a line with Connor Zeri and Yegor Sharangovich. I think there's something to be said that, uh, you know, he's helped his wingers, but his wingers have also helped him. So I think it's a combination of things. But, you know, he's a good player, and uh, I think he's been playing some pretty good hockey all season long, and it's good to see the, the goals and the points start to come now. I think it was really important for Nazem Kadri to get rewarded with a goal in the the Heritage Classic. It, it, you know, when you when you're answering the questions and and he he maintained a very steady and consistent approach. He he would remind the media about the scoring chances and the shots. He you know he sort of had a no panic kind of attitude about it. But I think it really was important for him to get rewarded and. and that combined with the new line mates has really helped him turn the corner. I just, I really like the, the sort of pep that he's played with, like, like Nazem Kadri at his most effective is a guy who is right in, in the sort of grease of it. He's, he's a guy who's throwing hits and, and talking after the whistle and, and just 
plays on that sort of edge. And I think that's what we've seen more. And I think it's easier to play that style when, when you're having that success, but he's really the, the engagement. And, and I, I sort of hesitate to put it that way because that sounds like you're saying he hasn't been engaged leading up to these last few games, but he's been right, right, right in the thick of everything during this past stretch. And I mean, he's, he's been, that's been the Calgary flames best line for the past three games. And he's been the best player on it. And that's no disrespect to his line mates who have both played some really good hockey. Yeah. He's been like, without question, he's been their best player here. Uh, going back to the Dallas game, like and and it really hasn't been it really hasn't been close in in my eyes. And that's again, Zary's been great, and Sharon Govich has really taken a a step forward. But you know, Willsey, the 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 point that you make about Kadri all year long, I I think it's I think it's important, and I think it's fair um, because he he was he was around it, and he was getting his opportunities. So as you mentioned. Uh, Kadri leads the team in all strength shots. He leads the team in all strength attempts. Uh, he leads them with 44 scoring chances by 11. He leads them in scoring chances. He leads them with 22 high danger chances. He, uh, leads them with, uh, an individual expected goals of 5.33. Uh, like he, he is across the board been their most impactful player in a lot of analytics. And I think that's important, but the thing that I've noticed, and and I do think there's been a noticeable difference here in the last little bit. And, and I, the one thing that I was not seeing, even when he was around it and even when he was uh, still getting opportunities and, and being a generally effective player. And, and, and I think it's important to point out that, yeah, I, I never felt like there was any laziness or, or anything I, I think the work ethic was there, but you know what I'm seeing more now, guys, is the thing that I think Nazem Kadri brings to this team that very few others do in that locker room, if any, and this is not a criticism on anybody else, but he is, when he's on, and when he is fully dialed, that guy sets the tone every time he's on the ice. He plays with snarl, he plays with edge, he's just, there's there's something about his game where he sets the tone, and... He does it by being brash with his skill and he's not afraid to make moves at the blue line and he plays with a little bit more speed and there's a little bit more oomph on a finish check on the end boards and we've seen that a lot the last three games and so when you've got a guy like Kadri, you know, Huberdeau needs to get his game going and Lindholm needs to be more consistent and those two things are also part of why the Flames are where they are in the standings but if Kadri can continue setting the tone like he has and be effective like he has, I know for sure the numbers will continue to follow him. And I think it it changes. It just makes the Flames. I like the way you put it, Wilsey. They're a harder team to play against when Nazem Kadri is setting the tone like he has. It is the biggest positive of the last week is what we've seen from number 91 because now he's doing the little things and he's bringing that intangible that only a few players in this league bring in my eyes mm-hmm. like like number 91 does. It was one of the biggest reasons I was so excited for them to bring him in going back to the summer of 2022. And we saw it at times last year, especially early, and then it dropped off. Well, we're seeing it right now. They needed to continue at the same pace and the same level. 
but it's a super encouraging sign. So that that's maybe the biggest difference in terms of what I've seen of late the last week or so is that now he's also being that tone setter when he's on the ice. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the leadership group, you know, of course, Michael Backlund's the captain and you've got guys with A's and you've got guys who don't wear a letter on their Jersey who are still leaders on and off the ice. But I think Nazem Kadri is uh, an important part of the flames leadership group. And really I think the team has leaned on that group to try to get their season turned around and, and Kadri's led by example, in my opinion. And, you know, he's a guy who likes to have the puck on a stick. And I talked earlier about how I think at times some flames players have tried to do too much and, and they've done that for the right reasons because they're trying to do as much as they can to help the team score goals and win games. But, you know, Kadri's a guy who is, at his best and also at his worst when when he's got the puck on his stick and and when i say that he's at his best and his worst he's at his best when he he just plays his game and sometimes i think he could be at his worst when he he gets away from that and, and tries to do too much so there's kind of a fine line when it comes to the nazim kadri you know being the player that we know he can be but he's been that guy pretty consistently this season and i think one of the things that's probably irked some fans is that when when things were not going so well for the Flames, he just kind of had an attitude of, you know what, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and playing my game, and sooner or later the, the, the points are going to start to come. And, you know, if, if we play the right way, sooner or later the wins will start to come. And, you know, coaches always say that they don't want their players getting too high or their players getting too low. And I, I think a lot of people were critical of Nazem Kadri because – he wasn't getting too high or getting too low. He was just kind of even keeled through the ups and downs. And, and that's kind of the way he's been throughout uh, the, the latter stages of his career. And another takeaway for me, fellas, I, I really uh, raised an eyebrow when I heard Ryan Huska say this. But he talked about Nazem Kadri maturing. He's 33. But what he meant by that, and he, he kind of explained it, was that, you know, he's a guy who, you know, can kind of, try to do things on his own, but he's a guy who with all of his experience and his Stanley Cup and and what he brings to the ice, even at 33 years old, can help younger players along. And I think that he's done a really good job of that with his new line mates, Connor Zeri and Yegor Sharon Govich. We're seeing another level with Sharon Govich right now that we haven't seen uh, with him in a Flames jersey to this point. And it's hard to say that Kadri's done X, Y, or Z for Zeri because well, he's only played three games in the league. So we don't have a sample size of Zeri without uh, Kadri right now. But, yeah, I, I really like what he's bringing to the ice right now. And uh, to your point, Pat, I think he's been the Flames' best player of late. And he's starting to look like that guy that he did prior to the All-Star game last season, don't you think? How many times on the round table or on Flames talk over the past season and a bit have we talked about the flames needing to find someone that clicks with Nazem Kadri on the wings and, and the sort of struggle it's been for Nazem Kadri to develop enough chemistry with with line mates I, I think as encouraging as the numbers and the just the style of play that we're seeing from Nazem Kadri is I think the flames have really found something there on that second line I, I think Connor Zary looks like a guy who's not only not going anywhere in terms of going back to the 
the minors, but is not going anywhere in terms of giving up his spot in a, a top six role. And Yegor Sharangovich ha has done a lot of the sort of unheralded work for that line. I think Nazem Kadri has finally found a couple of guys that he clicks with. And to his credit, he's the guy driving that line. But that trio, man, they've they've all helped each other, I think, find a, a really important level. Yep. Um, it's the Daily Flames Roundtable. Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg along with you on this Wednesday Flames Talk. Guys, are the Flames showing signs of turning a corner? Have they turned a corner? Is it too early to tell? They've won two in a row. That's like I don't think that we're um, pounding any celebratory drums after two consecutive wins. But uh, what are we seeing in Calgary's game? Have they turned a corner? Are they showing signs it's happening? Or are you uh, juries out still on that? Well, I think they've absolutely started to turn the corner. They're going to have to play a lot of good hockey in their final, how many games do they have left? 70 games uh, to, to get to where they want to go, and that's to the Stanley Cup playoffs. But I think they've taken a couple of pretty important steps in the right direction. You know, they, I think, played well enough to win that game against the Stars last week. I know they lost 4-3, but I thought they were the better of the two teams for two of the three periods. The first period, they were good. The third period, they were really good. And quite frankly, I thought they were unlucky not to win that game or to at least pick up a point in that game. But that was a stepping off point for them because I think they kind of picked up versus the Kraken where they left off versus the Stars. And for the first time all season, they played pretty close to 60 minutes. They played three pretty good periods on Saturday night. And I would argue that even though they were down 2 nothing following the first period in last night's game, you could argue they played pretty close to 60 minutes in that one as well. Pat, what did you say uh, post-game that uh, even though they were down 2 nothing, high-danger chances were 7-2 flames in the first? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, on the scoreboard, you're down 2, but you probably shouldn't have been. A couple of bad breakdowns and one really bad one. And the puck ends up in net a couple of times. But, you know, the Flames fought back and, and played well in the final 40 minutes last night and got rewarded for their hard work. And I, I thought played three pretty good periods of hockey again. So now they're starting to string some things together. You could argue they've played seven good periods in a row. And in their first 10 games of the season, they weren't able to play more than two good periods in a game. And when stretches were, they didn't play any good periods in a game. So I, I do think they've started to turn the corner, but uh, baby steps in the right direction, simply because when you lose six in a row early in the season and you don't have 10 of a possible 12 points in the bank, like they did after their 5-1-0 start last season, you, you dig yourself into a hole. They've started to climb out of it. Um, they've got a ways to go, but I do think they've started to turn the corner play some better hockey, and most importantly, find ways to win games. The most encouraging sign for me in last night's game was the way that they reacted or maybe the way they didn't react when they got down two despite playing a, a really good first period. That to, to be playing a strong period and then have a, a major gaffe from your top defense duo turn into a two-on-o going the other direction... <laughs> Suddenly you're down by a pair. That for me was one of those moments that a team that has been finding ways to lose or had been finding ways to lose earlier this season 
could go, oh boy, here we go again. And that is a moment where a team that hasn't been finding a lot of success could turn a 2 nothing deficit into a 5-1 loss a lot of nights. And I think what I was most impressed with and, and the, the biggest sign for me that they could be starting to turn a corner is just how kind of unflappable they seemed despite what was a couple of really, a couple of total oopsies that wind up in the back of your net and suddenly that thing can go the other way. And I think even as recently as a week ago might've gone the other way on the Calgary flames. And I think the fact that they were able to kind of keep it steady from there is a really encouraging sign. Uh, I'll make it real quick. Um, just cause we gotta, we gotta wrap up before the top of the hour. But um, I, I do like the fact that I talked to Blake Coleman about this after practice on Wednesday. I, I do like the fact that they just, it's, it's a whole lot more difficult to knock them off their game. And that was one of the, I don't want to say, I, I hate the term fragile sometimes, but they looked very easy to bump off their game. They, it's like a puck battle. They, they kind of look like a soft player on, on the ice where, you know, one bump and puck battle lost. And all of a sudden the other team would take over and that was what we saw a lot during the six-game skid. That was what we saw a lot up until the Dallas game. And they lost the Dallas game, but I think they took a lot of confidence from that. But they, they've been bumped a lot the last two games, and they've stuck with it. That, that to me, is a belief-building thing, that if you stick with it, you can get good results. So that, to me, has been the most impressive thing and the biggest reason why I could get on board with, yeah, they're showing signs of maybe as a team turning the corner here. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I actually asked Ryan Huska about that today because in the last two games, the Flames have trailed three times. one nothing and 2-1 versus the Kraken, and then 2 nothing last night. And they battled back and, and won both games. And it, it might sound crazy, but I think back to that find-away Flames season of 2014-2015 when a team that wasn't as talented as this one found ways to win, and they built those intangibles like belief and confidence and swagger. And those things empower you. And I know that the coaches want the guys to, to focus on doing the right things and, and that that's going to lead to those intangibles. But I also think it's important to get the right results, especially with what happened last season. We're on a lot of nights. The Flames did the right things and were the better of the two teams and didn't get the right result. This season, it kind of started the same way, and that's why we were talking about all the comparisons between last season and this season. But it started the turn in the last two or three games, which has been good to see. Next up, Friday and the Toronto Maple Leafs on the road. We'll have lots of time to set that up and all the storylines that go into that. that. That's for another day, not today. Uh, thank you, Willsie. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Okay, guys, have a good night. That is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. As we start to wrap up this hour on Flames Talk, lots that we got into. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we had uh, we had no shortage of topics to dive into on this hour of Flames Talk. Wes Gilbertson's on Twitter, at Wes Gilbertson. Got Taylor and Cam running the show as our producers this hour on the Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of three. 3.99% on a 48-month lease, zero down for $1,099 a month, no payments until 2024.